Support for today's show comes from Locker Room, the best place to talk sports. Make sure to follow me on Locker Room at Jake Reiner, and I'll invite you to chat on my weekly baseball room, uniquely titled Meeting on the Mound. Download Locker Room for free on the Apple App Store today and join the conversation. You know, my stomach dropped when I looked in and saw my jersey hanging uh, in the athletics locker in Cooperstown at the (laughs) National Baseball Hall of Fame. And then my uh, Indians jersey is in the National Jewish American History Museum. And and that's pretty incredible, too. So it's, it's, it's just humbling. Welcome to Meeting on the Mound. I'm Jake Reiner. We are honoring National Women's History Month here on this show, and I am honored to be joined by my next guest, Dr. Justine Siegel, who has made a lot of history throughout her life, but most notably, she was the first woman ever to coach a professional men's baseball team. Welcome to the show, Justine. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, Justine, there's a lot I want to get to, but first, a little about you for our listeners. In 2009, you became the first woman to coach a men's professional baseball team. It was an independent league team called the Brockton Rocks. Then in 2011, you became the first woman to throw batting practice for major league teams. And then in 2015, you were asked to join the Oakland A's Instructional League, becoming the first woman to coach for an MLB organization. Now, that is a lot of trailblazing for you and must be cool to kind of reflect on that. But what are your thoughts looking back on your career? First of all, Um, I think it's been incredible because uh, there's so many women coaching professionally now. And um, so I know like my putting a crack in the wall meant something as as I had hoped it would. Um, My first gig was with Mike Beck. Um, Mike Beck helped me get the job. You might know him because his father, Bill Beck, uh, used to run the White Sox and Mike Beck was a huge promoter and he helped me get my very first job with Brockton Rocks. Um, so I really owe a lot to him. And then, um, you know, I just kept going from there. I was already coaching college baseball and, um, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted more. Once I got to taste pro ball, I wanted to be able to do more. Um, Yeah. It went from there. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I'm sure a lot of people would say that you didn't just make a dent in the ceiling, but you may have broken the ceiling for a lot of people. And I'd love to get into that uh, towards the end of this uh, podcast. But first of all, let's talk about baseball, your love, your passion. It's mine as well. So I totally get it. You grew up in Cleveland. Um, What drew you to the sport? First of all, why did you fall in love with the sport? Honestly, I wanted to be a soccer player. I mean, I played baseball when I was starting in T-ball. Um, it was fun. and um, But I really, like, loved soccer. And then I was playing both. And my new coach when I was 13 years old was like, I don't want you on my team. Girls should be playing softball. And so I didn't quit and I stayed on. But... It, it changed and now I had to fight for the, for the opportunity to play baseball. And it was almost like the more people told me to go away, the more I was going to, I like loved the game. And so 
that was it. And, you know, like baseball was now my favorite sport and it's, I practiced it all the time and I read books and I just dreamt of being a major leaguer. And growing up in Cleveland, obviously you had dreams of becoming a Cleveland Indian and, and playing professionally for the Cleveland Indians. And you quickly found out that that was not going to be the case for you. You immediately thought, I need to be in this game. I need to stick around somehow. I want to be a coach. How did, in your mind, how did you envision that happening? Um, yeah, I was 16, about 16 when I decided, um, I mean, I wasn't quitting baseball. I still played baseball. I went and played men's baseball, college, fall ball, high school, and so on. But, um, I knew <laughs> that I wanted to just to coach since I wasn't going to actually play for the Indians. I know that's a long time to hold on to a dream. Uh, I, I just, you know, I just wanted to coach. It didn't occur to me that I couldn't do it because I was a girl. It didn't occur to me that no other woman had done it yet before. It just like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. And, um, so I shared it with my coach. Um, and he immediately laughed at me and said, no man would listen to a woman on a baseball field. And that's when, you know, it, it immediately felt harder, but, or more hard, but, um, it, it just kind of like, well, who's he to decide what I can do. And I just went forward. So you, you said you started coaching in college at Springfield college while you were getting your PhD. I I, want to touch on that comment that that coach made to you about guys not listening to you uh, as a female coach did you experience any of that or were they pretty receptive to you when you when you joined the uh, Springfield College yeah for sure men don't care if it's a woman telling them what to do they just care if you can make them a better ball player I mean yeah it's a shock at first like who is that but then you know within a few days you're kind of in um, and, and even at Springfield college, it was interesting because like after my second year there, I was, I was an assistant coach and a new guy, like a freshman, like, who's that? And I was like, Oh, that's coach Justine. <laughs> you know, he didn't think anything of it, but, and then that was it. So it doesn't mean it was always easy, but certainly, um, my players had my back. So growing up, what positions did you play? What, what is your, what is your specialty when it comes to being a coach? Pitching is my specialty. So you were, you were a pitcher and, and working with young pitchers, college pitchers, eventually you, you, you worked with some uh, minor leaguers as well. Um, what were some things that you were looking for as a pitching coach? What, what kind of advice did you, did you give these guys? Uh, well, you know, my PhD is in sports psychology. So the interesting thing about my path is I've actually worked with very few pitchers at the professional level. In college, I worked specifically with the pitchers. I mean, that was my job, whether we were going to take them out, um, working in the bullpen, doing video analysis. Well, um, at the pro level, I've always just been like filling in or um, kind of like the youngest uh, pro coach there, meaning so I was going to support another coach who had been there for years. And so I did that with the A's at Instructs. You know, I was helping infielders, not pitchers. Uh, when I was with the Corn Belters in the Frontier League, I was uh, coaching first base. So, you know, and actually helping the hitters, the position players at the beginning of the game for BP and stuff like that. Um, but as like, it's really what I love to do. And so it's really everything I've studied. And um, I don't know, I'm kind of still waiting for my big break in, in the pitching area. 
Well, I would say that you got to hone in your your pitching skills and put them on display as a batting practice pitcher in 2011. So I found I, I researched you a little bit and I found out that you kind of were trying to track down Billy Bean. You finally tracked him down at the winter meetings. Can you kind of tell us that story and how you were able uh, to throw batting practice for major league organizations? Yeah, so I had the idea when I was in high school. I was uh, watching the Indians do BP um, pregame, and I was like, hey, I can do that. <laughs> the coach looked so old, and he was throwing so soft. I was like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and so when I was um, 36, I decided I better get on that goal. Like, hey, maybe I can actually go throw BP. And so um, I went to the winter. I mean, I did a bunch of things. But at the winter meetings, a friend introduced me to Joe Madden and said, hey, she wants to throw BP to the race at the time. Uh, this is 2011. And Joe's like, he actually was listening to me about how I coached college and I'd done this. And he goes, well, maybe. And he gives me my email. And then uh, the next night, uh, this is all the winter meetings. There's Billy Bean. And so another friend introduces me and says, hey, the you know, Joe's going to let her throw BP. How about you guys? And um, it, it took Billy, Billy like five seconds to say yes. Wow. And um, that was just an incredible moment, like flowing through my body that like someone's like, yeah, I believe in you. And so I immediately went back to the Indians who had previously ignored me and they'd say, hey, I want to make history with you. And so I threw it to the Indians um, and then the A's and the Rays and the Cardinals and the Astros and the Mets. Um, and it was amazing. So like, I didn't get to play for the Indians, but I do have their Jersey. And, uh, yeah. it was pretty I've seen amazing. That picture. I've seen that picture. It's really cool. Um, so what was that experience like? Do you, uh, I guess, I mean, obviously when you're, when you're pitching competitively, it's a lot different than throwing BP and throwing BP, I assume is, is more the stress on accuracy and putting the ball where, where the hitter can hit it. So what, what was the, what were the, some of the challenges you faced doing that? Or were there no challenges at all? No, no, for sure. Like I prepared myself. Um, I was in the gym a couple hours a day. I'm making sure my arm is really strong, uh, making sure that my forcing would be straight and there wouldn't be any tail to it. Uh, just throwing it to the wall. Like I worked really hard. And then I started throwing to D1 schools uh, with the idea of like, Hey, I'm going to show up and perform, you know, while they go, who's this, <laughs> who is this chick? <laughs> you know, like, right. cause I had, that's what I would have to do at MLB, except for it would be international media watching. So um, I did feel very prepared when I went to the um, Cleveland or Arizona, but the Indians and, and I threw to them and I had to sign a waiver saying I might die. And, you know, <laughs> I, I threw, you, you pitched, you pitched behind it. an L screen, I'm assuming. I pitched by an L screen. So you really do have to know what you're doing. You know, you have to know how to get your rhythm and um, get behind the screen. It's not difficult, but you do have to remember to get behind the screen. And, you know, I did actually feel and hear a ball go by my ear. That's that was close, but I was behind the L screen. <laughs> so like it was phenomenal. And, um, and I loved every moment of it. It's a lot, it was a lot of pressure, but like, I loved it. Do you remember any of the players that you threw to? I know that a lot of them were were prospects, but were were any of them? Did any of them make the major leagues? You remember any any standouts? Well, with with that team, uh, I actually threw the minor leaguers in the morning, and then about two hours later, I threw to um, the Indians. 
to like the, the club, the big league club. Um, I don't know anyone who I grew to because I purposely didn't want to know how big someone was. <laughs> but, you know, like with the A's, I threw the Coco Crisp. Um, you know, with the Rays, I threw the Samfold. Um, so those are some of the names. So mostly I just wanted to stay ignorant and, you know, have one <laughs> job, throw the ball 50 feet and not hit anyone. Yeah. Did, uh, did anybody uh, take you deep? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Coco Chris did. Uh, he swung <laughs> He swung and missed, and then the next one he hit deep. So. No way. You blew one by Coco Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's obviously not the objective, but, you know, it, <laughs> it was he's, – he's such a fun guy that, you know, it was it was a very light moment. Yeah, he's he's a really really cool dude. I uh, I met him one time uh, when my uh, dad and I went on our uh, baseball trip around around the country. He was playing for the A's at the time, or actually no, he was playing for the Indians at the time, um, and he was a really really nice guy. But um, anyway, that, that's that's just such a cool story. Um, you throwing BP and and the art of it and listening to you how you prepared that was really cool. Um, so let's talk about the the Oakland A's. So in 2015, you uh, joined their instructional league. Can you kind of tell us how that came about and what what was your role there? Yeah, after I threw BP, I went to scout school, um, Major League Baseball a scout development program that the uh, the Indians sponsored me for. And, um, and I became an associate scout. Basically, um, I was like, I want to do more. And I asked Billy Bean for four years if I could come coach. And, you know, every year it was like, how, how can I make myself better? So, you know, it was going to scout school, like, you know, being a scout, getting my PhD. Like, I just kept Adam and telling him how I was becoming more qualified. So he finally said yes. And um, I was an instructional league. And, you know, my job was really as an assistant um, to the others, uh, through BP coach first base. I mean, instructional league is really about young players who they want to give some more time to. There's some who are recovering from an injury, but generally, you know, they're young. And, um, I had a, a really good time and I really, you know, the players, they responded well, you know, it wasn't, it was just like an everyday thing. It was amazing in the beginning, but then you're just like a coach and that's, that's the way you want it. Any major leaguers in the bunch? Any any guys that, that stood out to you? No, um, I didn't work with any major leaguers then. I mean, um, Sky Bolt is now a major leaguer. I mean, we used to sit and I'd say, like, what do you miss? What do you miss from home? Like, you know, he misses his mom's cooking. You know, just creating some rapport with the players. Um, so we, we chatted a lot. And so it was exciting to see him get called up. Um, is there but- is there a, a, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. There was, uh, there was one time um, in the middle of a game where I had a hitter come and ask me for help. And I, I'm not the hitting coach. And what was really interesting about that, when you tie it back to like, no man will listen to a woman, blah, 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 is that there were like eight other male coaches, some who played in the major leagues, some from the minor leagues. And instead he came to me and asked for help. And, you know, I talked to him. And he off, he went off and hit a home run and then a double, <laughs> which which is, of course makes the story better. But my point is is that like diversity on staff matters. You know, it's all about getting as many people that can meet the players in different ways. And my vibe is different than the next person. And um, in that moment, that showed that out of all, everyone came to me to ask for help, and 
So, you know, that diversity really makes a difference. I want to ask you more about that. First of all, what did you tell this guy? I mean, he goes out and hits a double and a home run. So what, what did you tell him? Did, what, did you fix a hole in his swing or something? No, I mean, I'm not going to tell you the whole conversation, but it wasn't my job to fix his swing. So, you know, you kind of have to know your role, you know, know where, where you should be. But, I mean, essentially, you know, just letting him know he needs to let his mind and his body, it's got to, you got to give it time to catch up, right? You're learning all these new things, yet you've been doing something your whole life one way and now you're being told another way and your mind and your body have to catch up. So take a breath. You know, basically I didn't tell him to take a breath, but that's the concept. Give yourself right. a moment. And um, sometimes just being heard is enough. And I, that's true when you work with pitchers, you know, you go out on the mound and <laughs> their whole world's falling apart and just giving them a moment to breathe and, and ask them, you know, what their plans are later tonight and get them to calm down you know, that's, that's worth a million bucks. Yeah. Being on the mound can be one of the loneliest places in the world if it's not going right for you. So I uh, I totally, totally get that. Uh, I want to talk to you about, uh, baseball for all. This is the nonprofit organization that you founded and it provides opportunities for girls to play coach and lead in baseball. So Tell us a little bit more about that. When did you start it? And what are your, what are your goals moving forward with baseball for all? Yeah, I started um, first taking girls teams to quote boys tournaments, um, specifically Cooperstown Dreams Park. And I soon, uh, as the word got out about what I was trying to do, I was able to get more girls in there. I might hold an event with like three girls teams that, you know, like 30 girls. And then eventually I realized that if I could, um, if I could start a girls team, then I could teach you how to start a girls team. And so we ended up creating the first national girls baseball tournament, 2015 and have really just gone so far since that time. Um, we have 500 girls coming to our national tournament this year at Ripken in Aberdeen. Um, we run like three or four different leadership programs uh, this year, specifically with virtual, we created all of our programming virtually. And it's just essentially that, you know, I was told I sh- shouldn't play baseball because I was a girl. And yet amazingly in 2021, still girls are being told they shouldn't play. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's actually quite astounding when you think about, all of the different female sports out there that men also play, whether it's basketball or hockey or rugby. I mean, it just seems like baseball would be the natural progression to already be a thing. And they do have a professional uh, women's league in Japan, um, which I'm sure you you're familiar with. And I think that that is, is a really great goal to set for yourself. I'm wondering if that is sort of your, your goal with baseball for all is to eventually parlay that into having a professional women's baseball league. It would be nice to have a professional league. Um, you know, my goal is that a seven year old isn't told she can't play baseball, even though her brother's on the team too. You know, that's, it's really that, but, or that your daughter could just sign up and play baseball and and we don't have to have a story about it. Um, So that there's girls leagues everywhere. Um, And I would say at the, at the pinnacle level, I'm very interested in college, having women's baseball at college level. That's a program that we're launching this fall uh, to, to get that going. But um, of course, everyone wants professional 
but I think first we gotta we gotta like think about the kids as well. You know, we right. have to deal and with the systemic problem first. No kidding. What, what do you? I mean, I know that there are a ton of of hurdles and red tape you got to go through, so to speak. But what would you say is the biggest hurdle standing in the way for for you to achieve that? There's definitely a demand. So the biggest hurdle is funding funding so that we could um, accelerate the work I'm doing. So for example, I'm going to be running a college program and it could take 10 years to get to NCAA status, or we could just have a lot of funding and do it in four, you know, it's just, right. it's just a matter of time. So the, the demands out there, um, getting the word out and letting people know that girls play baseball, making it the norm is, is really essential. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope it happens because after watching some of the the videos online, uh, the baseball for all tournaments that you have, it's just, and also watching some some footage of the the, the Japanese professional baseball league for women, like that that that's inspiring stuff. And um, I know that in Japan, they're they're marketing these women, they're they're making them household names, and it would it would be nice to have that uh, for for everyone here. Uh, in the United States. Yeah, but I went I, I to want... Japan and, and it was amazing. And you've got yeah, like well... these grown men cheering on these <laughs> players and they're pros and they should cheer them on. But it's, you know, it's still somewhat foreign because we don't have that here. Yeah, I do. I do want to talk to you about because you mentioned at the top about uh, all of the female coaches we're seeing nowadays in Major League Baseball. And you've paved the way for for women like Rachel Balt. Balkovich and Rachel Holden. They were both hired as hitting coaches in 2019 for the Yankees and Cubs organizations, respectively. Then there's Alyssa Nacken, who was hired by the Giants in 2020 as an assistant coach, becoming the first full-time female to coach in the big leagues. And then most recently this year, the Red Sox hired Bianca Smith, the first black woman to serve as a coach in the history of professional baseball. So what are your thoughts when you hear this list on where the game of baseball is headed for women? I, I mean, I think it's wonderful. It's, um, I think we're in a moment or a tipping point where the doors are open and they're, it's not like there haven't been qualified women before. It's simply that the gatekeepers are letting them in. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited for Bianca. I think she's going to be incredible. I mean, all, all of these women just have a future ahead of them. And I know my girls in, my, in baseball for all are all watching them thinking that's going to be them one day. And are you, do you have goals of becoming a full-time coach in, in, in the majors? I wouldn't say it's a goal because I'm so busy. <laughs> like, you know, I'm running a nonprofit and I work on the TV show League of Their Own that's going to be coming out. But um, I'm very open. You know, every day I study pitching. And I just would love to have the opportunity to take all this knowledge and experience and, and help players and make a team, help a team win. I'm so glad you mentioned A League of Their Own because it segues perfectly into the A League of Their Own TV show that I want to talk to you about because you're you are a consultant on that show. Uh, Amazon's producing it and uh, it's it's not out yet, but I want to uh, talk to you about what that process was like. What was it? What was it like to be a consultant for this? I have to say A League of Their Own, not only one of my uh, favorite movies of all time, but one of my favorite baseball movies of all time. 
And if you want to check out the rest of my top five list, you can listen to my episode with Billy Crystal of Meeting on the Mound. Uh, and you can, you know, hear hear all about that. But I want to talk to you about A League of Their Own uh, and what that process was like uh, being a consultant for this show. Yeah, so um, we taped the pilot, I don't know, six, eight months ago. And um, we're now taping the rest or we're getting to it. So still in the writer's room. But um, my job primarily is, um, I review scripts to make sure that, you know, well, not make sure, but just review, make sure to like, think about the baseball. Is it, is it all makes sense? What would happen with this pitch? Where would it miss? For example. Um, and then I train the actors so that they're ready for their parts. And, um, and then when it's time to film, you know, position it so that we're between the director and I, that we're, we're getting the right shot, you know, you, like you need to know where the slide's coming in from, things like that. So it's very thrilling. And um, I am surprised how much I love the TV industry because it's, it's so team oriented. Like everyone's job is super important and, you know, nothing happens if everyone doesn't work together, which is very sports oriented. Can you tell us like a little behind the scenes uh, moment on set uh, that sort of sticks out to you? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know about the sets, but like, I just, everyone's working so hard and I've got, you know, one actor who I'm working so hard with on, on just the throwing motion and, and then she gets the scene right. And, you know, and I throw up my arms, like I just won the world series because I was so thrilled that all of her hard work paid off and we knew we got the right shot. And, um, it's exciting. It's as exciting as coaching with a team. It's just, it's just a, the different people that you're coaching. If that makes sense. Yeah. Do you know when that's supposed to come out? I don't, I know that we start filming in May and then from there you have to ask Amazon. Yeah. Uh, maybe they, they can join me for a meeting on the mound for a full exclusive. Um, I, I do want to ask you about a league of their own, the movie, because there's often a debate when it comes to the final scene. And I have my own thoughts about it. And I know you've seen the movie uh, a, a bunch of times, but um, so at the end, Kit runs into her sister, Dottie, who's the catcher and essentially knocks the ball out of her hand and uh, Kit's team wins. Um, there's a debate out there. Did Dottie drop the ball on purpose? And, and my thoughts just originally or just, you know, as I'm thinking about it are I, I struggle with this because Dottie's a competitor. This is the part played by Gina Davis. Dottie's a competitor. She, you know, wants to win, but she also is a good big sister. And her 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 kid sister, Kit, kind of lived in her shadow a little bit, never really got the uh, the fame that that Dottie got. So. What are your thoughts? Did she drop the ball on purpose or or was that a clean hit? Before I answer that, I'm going to back up with my own story. Okay. So my brother and I are on separate teams. So I must be 12 and he must be 11. And I'm pitching and he's hitting. And it's a 3-2 count. And not once did I think that I should walk him. And so I strike him out. And it then becomes like a legendary story around the league, how sister struck out her, her brother. Right. Now, looking back, I wish I walked my brother. But I'm a competitor, and it never occurred to me. All I knew is I wanted my out. And so I'm going to go with Gina Davis being a competitor 
and not dropping the ball. Maybe some other time she would reflect back and think she's glad she dropped the ball. But in the moment, I think competition overrides siblings. Yeah, I like that answer because it's that it's that shot at the end. It just rolls out of her hand. You're like, oh, no, the peaches. Um, I (laughs) I every time I watch that movie, um, I think about that moment. And and even though I've seen it a thousand times, I know how it's going to end. I still root for Gina to hold that ball. Come on, Dottie, hold that ball. Do you, do you get those, those thoughts too? I don't, but I will tell you, having worked <laughs> having worked with the actors in those gloves, I don't know how anyone held on in general. Oh my God, I know. Unbelievable. Uh, Justine, um, thank you so much for, for joining us today. This was so great, and I'm so thankful to finally get to talk to you. I know we followed each other on Twitter for some time, and I've been meaning to get you on the show and, and this is just so fabulous. And I want to congratulate you on the work that you've done and the work that you continue to do. Um, and yeah, I agree with, with your, basically your mission statement for baseball for all is that it should be for everyone. It's a great sport that everyone should get to enjoy. And so I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. 